Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Today, we are honored once again to have with us the one and only Dr. Andy Bard. Who's Dr. Andy Bard, of course? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A prize-winning author, former Democratic candidate for Congress in Virginia's uh, very, very red Shenandoah Valley, former talk show host, summa cum laude, graduate from Harvard, so we know he's smart, uh, awarded with distinction in a program specifically created to accommodate his original theory explaining how civilization has developed and a frequent columnist in newspapers throughout the United States, Mr. Dr. Schmuckler. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. Glad to be back with you. Well, absolutely. So we today we're going to discuss an article some may think they have a notion of, because even I told you the article is titled, How Are We to Think of Human Nature? To which I responded, Nurture versus Nature. And then you said, Let's take it a little bit deeper. So, Dr. Schmuckler, tell me about human nature. Well, should I start with those two uh, straw men that I, or should I go right to my thesis, you know? My brother, it's okay. on Okay, all right. So you, 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 you mentioned that I have this uh, uh, original theory about uh, what's happened to us as a species since we uh, became civilized and took an unprecedented step. Well, that uh, that's true, and it it has had a um, at, at the center of it has been the question of human nature. So I got hit by that idea in 1970. I went in to see what everybody was saying about human nature because that was at the center of my vision, and I found that uh, I, I really didn't agree with uh, some of uh, the, the main things that are out there in our civilization. One was the uh, the idea that we didn't have a, a, a real human nature, that we are so plastic that uh, culture can make of us anything it wants, and uh, um, like that. And I rejected that because we evolved to be creatures who lived like primates and then uh, uh, hominids and then... Uh, uh, hunter-gatherer bands of homo sapiens for hundreds of thousands of years. We had to have a nature then. How could we not have one now just because we're cultural? Because hunter-gatherers were living in a way that was consistent with uh, with what we had done before. And all creatures have to have an inborn uh, Doctor, nature. let me stop you for yeah. a second here because a lot of folks uh, that are listening won't necessarily understand what you mean by we were hunter-gatherers. So why don't you give us a little, a, a slight explanation oh. of what that means? Oh, well, interesting. Um, you know, I, that's been so fundamental to how I think. I, I, I forget that not everybody's thought that way. But until 10,000 years ago, all of Homo sapiens, our species, were living as what's called hunter-gatherers, which is they live off of what nature spontaneously provides as opposed uh, to well as opposed to what then came 
we started inventing a new way of life and that begins with the domestication of plants and animals. The, the animals that people used to hunt, they start to gather into pens. And the, the plants that the, the gatherers used to gather, uh, people start to cultivate in their uh, own gardens. And, and this is an enormously significant event in the history of life. I mean, three and a half billion years, never had a species done what we did then, which is invent a new way of life. And so it's a gradual emergence. Of course we had a nature and why would it go away? Well, you can say, well, for 10,000 years, we've been doing something different from what we'd always done, but that's, that's just a drop in the bucket. You know, um, 10,000 years after uh, you know, mammalian evolution for a hundred million years, or how, how? That's the dryer. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was obvious that we would still have a, a a substantial and important human nature, which equipped us to be able to do what we had to do when we lived in that other circumstance that we emerged out of over tens or hundreds of millions of years, however you want to think of it. And then there were the other people who would look at human nature and they would say, we're territorial animals. We're, 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 we're inherently willing to use violence to get what we want. And, and you can notice whenever anybody in our culture says, well, that's human nature. I think virtually without exception, when somebody says, well, that's human nature, they're pointing to something negative. So the heart of my vision about what's happened to us as a species could be boiled down to the statement that we've discussed before, that the ugliness we see in human history is not a clear window into our human nature. So I disagreed with the people who said we had no nature, and I disagreed with the people who said that we should look at our nature as basically problematic. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that can be expanded into a lot of different arenas. Right now, we're talking about civilization, human nature, and what is it intrinsic to us that um, that makes us do what we do. But many a times when we're talking about just regular policies that we that we come up with, a lot of the excuses generally made on the right is that sounds good. That sounds like something nice to do, but it's not what, again, Dr. Schmuckler, it's not human nature, and therefore we don't do. Continue, and, please. And, and kind of expand one of the that. places where you and I have uh, have joined, I believe, and why um, I appreciate your having me back uh, to deliver my better human story. But I think I understand that part of the appeal of a better human story for you is that you have a vision that we are capable of making a society that is far better than what we've got now. Absolutely. And so, and, and so it's a value from your point of view, as it is from mine, to be able to see that what we are seeing around us shouldn't be understood as a clear window into this is what we are. We could be a lot better. And, and so the, the heart of this piece to, to move into the next phase is to answer the question, well, if I'm right in my uh, 
vision, which we're not getting into today, but have in the past, which says that any species that steps across the line into, into civilization is going to uh, get swept up into a systemic force that unnaturally drives the civilization to develop in destructive ways. And I feel like I proved that, uh, but that's not where we're going now. Where we're going now is assuming that a, such a systemic force has driven uh, the, evol the development of civilization in, in, in ways that we could not avoid but, and did not choose. Assuming that, how are we to understand what we're seeing in relation to well, what is our nature? And that leads me to tell the story about some research from the 1950s involving uh, before you go into monkeys. the research because yeah. that was a good research one that you talk about the monkeys that were that had two different ways of uh, being raised i i enjoyed that story but i want to before we get to the research itself move it a bit more into today's reality because um uh how it is that we america as a country many a times had found itself on a path to redemption and on a path to correct its past ills on a path that says uh we are we are better than that how do we then uh if 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 there isn't something within ourselves that want to be quote unquote bad and you know i'm just using that as yeah, a that, as that's an fine. excuse that's fine. how do we allow using your terminology again the uh the gangster how do we allow the gangster to move us back into a position that really is rather inhumane and what we would like to call not human nature but societal maybe well so if somebody's willing to grant me that there's a force that's not a function of human nature that has driven uh our uh, our civilization considered as a whole system that's been you know globally developing for 10,000 years and you know takes the forms of individual societies and cultures and it takes the form of the whole pattern in which uh, empires get built uh, um, by powerful societies incorporating weaker societies if you're willing to um, just sort of stipulate for the moment that you step across the, the, this threshold into civilization and boom, you're in this war of all against all and all kinds of crap's going to happen no matter what the nature of, this, of the, the creature. If you stipulate that, then you're going to say, well, look at, and we've discussed this too, how patterns of brokenness uh, um move through history move through time you've got and and part of the thing is that you've got you know, people who are broken in various ways they've been raised uh in in family structures that are injurious um that are the fruit of all that crap that's been going on so for example I, i'm writing a piece right now about what is it that makes people susceptible to believing lies because you know as a guy i've been a truth teller i mean it's, i'm all about finding the truth and telling the truth and and i'm just blown away by what i've witnessed um 
We've got tens of millions of people in this country who believe, and I, we could make a little list of really important beliefs that they believe to be true and whose whose falsehood is just couldn't be more obvious. You know, the stolen election lie, uh, the Trump did nothing wrong lie, the climate change is a hoax lie. I mean, there's no way anybody with basic intelligence and who is reasonably open to to information would know there's no way not to know that those are lies i mean how can you not know that the election wa wasn't stolen from trump that he was the one i mean it's just it's it's just out there it presented as as boldly as anything i've ever seen presented on on, on the public stage how can you not know that Climate change is a major thing. I mean, just the, the daily news, practically, with wildfires and all the rest. You know, how can you not know? Well, if you look into the answer to how it is that people can get not, you, you find that there are systemic forces that are breaking them. And you what are they? See, well, well, for example, it can be a cultural thing. First of all, you can be brought up in a family in which there are lies that you're the children are compelled to to believe. You know, nobody's allowed to know that daddy is uh, molesting his daughter, or nobody's allowed to know that um, uh, uh, the daddy's a, an alcoholic. Uh, whatever the family secrets are, you can be brought up being compelled to believe a lie. That's the brokenness in that family. You could ask, well, how did he get to be that kind of a guy? That also is going to be a product of history. And then there's cultural things. Like I live I live in Dixie, as do you, by the way. I live in, in the land of the Confederacy. And it is a land in which lies have been told. Uh, uh, there's there, if you look into the history of how the civil war was taught in the south you find that the powers of the state were used to compel teachers to teach lies about the civil war it, so the people people grew up and and it goes back before the Civil War too. But just looking at the the the, the lost cause lie, the War of Northern Aggression lie, the the uh, states' rights lie, it, it it was it emerged right after the Civil War. It was it's been sold to generations of of um, uh, Southerners who have made a hero of Jefferson Davis, who led his region into an utter disaster. It's saturated with lies. And people are brought up from the beginning in the culture to be able to absorb certain kinds of lies, lies from certain kinds of authorities. Anyway, the world is broken. People, It makes people broken. Then broken people forward the force of brokenness and make the, so we are dealing with 10,000 years of a force of brokenness working in countless ways, permeating every level from the individual psyche to family structure, to, to social structure, to power structures, to the international system. Now, everything that you've just said there, if you, if you take a listen to it, 
back to um, the, the article that we're discussing here with regards to human nature, I think a lot of what you're saying is, uh, and, 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 and I think the, your, your experiment as well that you're about to talk about is going to prove that. And I think it's something that I've always agreed with, that while there is, in fact, human nature, much of what occurs has less to do with human nature because all the brokenness that you talk about, all these issues that you speak about with people wanting to believe fallacies or people having learned fallacies from their inception, from their birth, actually says that a lot of this quote-unquote brokenness, a lot of this belief system, it's the external that's causing it and not the nature that's causing it. Do I, yeah, do yeah. I read you right? Yeah, the, we live in an unnatural world. Right. Um, which is not, it's, it's partly to be understood as this is what people wanted, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I've got a soft chair over there, you know, uh, that, that's what I wanted. I got hot and cold running water over there. That, that's what I wanted. Part of it is people meeting their needs. But part of it is this other systemic force driving things in ways that nobody has been in a position to control. And, and so um, I think that people don't often think about how the whole can be something other than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. uh, they think that if human beings have been acting for 10,000 years, then whatever comes out of it has got to be an expression of what human beings are. But that's not really, you know, that, that, that does not follow. I mean, it, it does not follow because people can plunge into an, a situation like we did that has a dynamic of its own. But and, I, I think if we expand on that, we just take a look at how far we've come with things like uh, changing the past belief on women's rights, uh, the rights of uh, uh, gay marriage and all these things. When you think think about where we've been and how, where we've gone, I think that probably makes your case as well. Now, you have an experiment that you mentioned in the article yeah. that actually I think is probably one of the better experiments that tells, that just shows uh, yes, there is human nature, or there is nature, if you will. But again, externalities play a part. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, the, the, the point's going to be that for species like us, uh, we're born incomplete because for, and we're not the only ones, but we're the... the what, do, what do you mean by we were born incomplete? Well, the, well uh, the, what I mean is we're born, for example with the innate capacity, which is quite extraordinary, uh, just us human beings, we're gonna learn a language. But what language we're gonna learn, that depends on where we get born, you know? You and I speak English, though you're, you're bilingual in a way that I, I'm not. Um, but, you know, we, 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 if we'd been born at a different time and place, we could be speaking, you know, ancient Greek or, we could be speaking uh, Mandarin Chinese, and that stands for all kinds of things. But even the rhesus monkey, who's not going to be learning a language and a culture as complex as, as what we humans do. The study took a bunch of uh, rhesus monkey infants and divided them into two groups. One group, and each one was growing up separately with this phony mother 
one group had a phony mother that consisted only of wire mesh. The other group had the same thing, except that it had a piece of terry cloth uh, uh, around, uh, around it, which turned out to be important because the rhesus monkey is born needing something to cuddle up to. And that's fine in all the situations that rhesus monkeys are born in, you know, probably, you know, virtually, they're going to have a mother who's there taking an interest in them and letting them cuddle up against them. So this, the, the nature of the child is there when it's born needing something to cuddle up with. But if it doesn't get that, like with the, 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 the group of infants that uh, get just the wire mesh, they develop into something really messed up. They are incapable of functioning in rhesus monkey society and, and they're so social animals. They're incapable of, of mating. They are completely messed up because they were born with a nature that required cultures, required the environment to provide something to complete them properly. And except for the unnatural thing that the... Um, scientist who would never be allowed to do this experiment nowadays the scientist created this unnatural situation which resulted in messing up the the creature so much that it, it, it could hardly you know that's not rhesus nature what you see with those rhesus monkeys raised in those unnatural situations we would never think that that's rhesus na nature it's the other ones who managed who had the terry cloth and who managed to develop into a fairly normal functioning uh adult monkeys right that's rhesus nature so that unnatural environment the wire mesh mother is at least somewhat analogous to the civilized societies that we human beings have been compelled to live in. They are unnatural in ways that are not a function of how to complete us. They have been in many ways hostile to human nature because the whole, and this is going back to, to the idea that we've gone into before, the, the necessity has been that what survives is what can prevail in a war of all against all. What survives is essentially the spirit of the warlord, which is what emerges out of the anarchy that the step into civilization inevitably creates. So we get the unnatural environment. I don't know how much of it you could say. Uh, that we have around us today, I think we're we're doing better than humanity generally has. How much of it is wire mesh mother that twists and breaks us? And how, but we do know that when civilization first emerged, fully bloomed in cities and empires, what we see is indeed the spirit of the gangster having a disproportionate say in how the human world gets run. We see we see tyrants. We see the majority of people living lives of slaves. This is not what human beings would have chosen. This is the unnatural environment. So here's a question, and and this is what uh, and and I, I it's one that I want answered. I think it's one that we seek the answer for 
over and over again. And I think if we find the right answer to this, we may be successful. In, do, you, do you think I'm going to be able to answer it? I, well, I, I think you should know the answer. Uh, okay. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, All right. But, but Suck here, it to me. Here's the thing, Doc. Um, you know, my contention is that most people are are good. And I, 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 I see that. I work with that. I talk to people of all stripes, and I can tell you, deep in my heart, this is a, not a this is not a cliche. Most people are good, and most actually want to do good. But also, uh, what you talk about a lot—the externalities that come into people's minds, everything that you talk about—the spirit of the gangster, being able to control the people—all of that is what I see. I look at the gangsters in our society, and the gangsters aren't only the Donald Trumps. In fact, uh, Donald Trump himself has his own gangster, in my opinion, which is the system above him. But they are able, a small quantity of them are able to penetrate the good people. And I'm not only talking about what they learn, but it's just on how they act and the things that they do and what they consider normal. What do you think, first of all, is the proper way to define that? And secondly, how do we get to people to neutralize the bad gangster and become a good gangster? Well, I... I or, uh, let me back up. Oh, okay. I, I said that wrong. How can we change from the bad gangster to make them see us as gangsters for good. Well, I, I wouldn't. I would never use a phrase like "gangsters for good," but uh, <laughs> well, you you get the analogy I'm trying to make. Well, yeah. So you say all uh, most people are good. Yes, um, I, I see a lot of truth in that, but I I do have to confess that I uh, I've struggled for uh, over fifty years to get a clear idea of, you know, what is our human nature? And I, I really don't, I don't know how good it is. I, I feel like I can prove that it's better than we, we have been taught to think it is. And, and I, I'm aware of the, uh, a lot of research which indicates that things like compassion, um, uh, empathy. A sense, a, a empathy, a sense of fairness, do seem to be built into us. Um, I also think that, um, you know, the, the fostering of, of human goodness, um, is also a challenge. I mean, just like, a, a, a culture, um, uh, can work to make people, um, broken. I think that real wholeness, um, is an achievement uh, not just a birthright. Um, I think that when people are just sort of naturally who they are, you, know, you can see the selfishness that there is in a, a toddler or something like that. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff in us. And um, it's not all, um, uh, it, it's not all to create the world in which there is a peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Uh, I, I think that you know, the teachings of our religions are uh, aspirations that would be challenging to meet, even if we didn't have to deal with these systemic forces of brokenness. 
So, but I don't know exactly where we where we'd end up if we didn't have systemic forces to work with. It would still, I think, uh, be a project to build a really whole world in which uh, people are really good to each other and, and people are, are able to achieve um, uh, their maximal fulfillment. That being said, it is important to realize, uh, and I think you said that in our next conversation, we're gonna talk about a piece about the utter selfishness of three wreckage. major yeah. figures. The wreckage. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the uh, incredible selfishness of three people who are playing um, a very impactful role in our world, especially Putin and Trump are the two. But I throw in uh, Israel's Netanyahu, who, whose selfishness uh, blows my mind. Uh, and, and and whose self and whose selfishness is uh, in the process of destroying his country. Um, so I, I threw that in. And, and and, and the question is that you raise, I would pose as, um, how do we create a world in which people who are so extraordinarily broken in that way aren't don't play such a disproportionate role in human affairs? I mean, Putin by himself has changed the whole dynamic of the planet, you know. The piece of Europe that took him you know, seventy some years to go to build, he he he's he's broken it. Just one man made that decision. How do we create a world in which somebody like that cannot become the sole voice deciding what a nation with a massive nuclear arsenal will do on the planet? So that's you know one level of saying what the challenge is. And another level of it is, uh, you know, something's gone wrong in this country at the level of consciousness. If you've got a major American political party that would have the relationship with a would-be tyrant like Donald Trump, that the base had in 2015-16 to make him the nominee, that the bit that the party has had to acquit him when he was the most impeachable president we could imagine, and that continues to follow him even after he's essentially tried to overthrow the the constitutional order. He didn't create the circumstances in which such a thing could happen. How do we? heal what's gone wrong in the minds of tens of millions of people. And that's a question, how do we do it? Well, I often come up with a metaphor. Um, it's not the great metaphor, but I often come up with it. I don't, I don't buy meat, I don't cook meat, but my mom used to make a pot roast. And she made a delicious pot roast. And I remember the way a good piece of chuck roast would be marbled with, uh, with, with fat. So there's real meat and then there's the fat to bring out the flavor and uh, ideally. Well, it's the, the, the world we live in is that chuck roast. And the fat is all the dimensions of brokenness that there are 
at every level of the society from people's uh, uh, being taught uh, to uh, uh, hate the animal that we also are uh, you know, all the things that happen in our in our world that are broken at every level the injustices the, the prejudices the paranoias uh, all of it needs to be dealt with it's all a fun it, it all feeds its, itself. So if you look at the force of fascism in America today, you can see the tributaries to them are all the dimensions of American brokenness that we've seen over the uh, the centuries. So then the do we race, fix it? The so racism, we... the, 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 the corporate greed, they're all aligned, sort of showing this is all these are all the rivers that are that, that, that are feeding in that are now in a position to threaten the very survival of American democracy. And we've had all these rivers all along. But um, but they have they have uh, com combined in a way. Dr. Schmuckler, um good problem uh, talking about the issue, et cetera. And we're running close on time here. So I'm going to ask you uh, one thing to um, to uh, when we talk about uh, the wickedness uh, that we we spoke about before. Uh, the the all, whatness. The, what I, I think we called it. Uh, uh, I I don't have your email right now. The next subject that we're talking about, wicked, oh, wrecked, the, the, or the the wreckage, wreckage, the wreckage that utter what did I say? <laughs> reeks upon the world. Right. That's what I we like reeking wreckage. There, there we go. Yeah, I know you'd have some sort of alliteration or something with that. But yeah. here is here is what I'd like to do, because I want you to give a closer here. But for the next talk that we're going to do, I would like to um, and maybe maybe we talk about the our wreckage uh, completely first. And then uh, for our audience, what we start to do is talk about solutions that we think with the the with the people out there trying to answer questions and trying to make a better america a better world what kind of input can a dr schmuckler give that says you know this is something that we would like to add to your repertoire to help uh solve this problem these problems that we discuss here uh i always uh, like to have not only describing problems but hopefully having solutions. So in for, in the last minute, why don't you give me a closer for this segment? Wow. Uh, I, I hope you feel okay about the way I'm going to do that because um, I, I feel like I've had two big ideas uh, in my life. One, one of them's got to do with that social evolutionary force that makes us into uh, broken rhesus monkeys in part. Uh, but the other one has to do with an understanding that at the center of the human battle, is something that can be seen as a conflict between two coherent forces. There's a coherent force that consistently works to make things more broken. And there's a coherent force that consistently works to make things more whole. And I define good and evil in those terms. And then I try to show how there are these coherent forces. And it's got to do with that marbling that um, what we're engaged in is the battle between good and evil. 
And it turns out that there is a reality in the human world that is reasonable to describe that way, but you can get rid of those words if you don't like them. And you can say uh, a battle between a force of wholeness and a force of brokenness. And then I can show you how, how there are those coherent forces. And so I think that the what we should see is that basically the political situation in America today, and I know you're, you are very devoted to that important dimension, as am I, that that political battle, and I've been trying to say this for 20 years, that we really should see it in terms of the battle between good and evil, not in some simple-minded way, but we. this is the nature of how what's, uh, politics has become in America. I grew up in a different kind of America. Then it was a, ma a matter of conservative versus liberal, and they would battle, and, and, and the elements of good and evil were sort of mixed in both both camps. And, and, they, and they, would, they, they would fight over things like tax rates and various policy issues and all kinds of things would enter into it in terms of values and principles and neither side was just the good guy on every situation neither side was the bad guy on every situation it was a mixture but that's not what it is now and and even in the political realm what we're dealing with is not just the political battle. We also, if we want to heal America, have to heal the nature of the consciousness that people that has been exploited by this force, that has taken uh, appeal to the worst of them, gotten them to believe the unbelievable, got and, them to defend the indefensible. And that is where we end it, Dr. Schmuckler. Uh, thank you so kindly once again. We've been listening to Dr. Andy Bard Schmuckler who writes a whole lot as well on these issues, and we're happy to have had you on Politics Done Right. Well, thank you for having me. Nice to be back. We are honored today to be with Erika Chomsky with Shire, and who Shire Shire believes that... Volunteering should be easier. And you know what? Volunteering should be easier. Tell us a little bit about your company. I think you have a new product in beta that we will do. make a whole lot of things easier for activists. Talk to me about it. So sometimes when someone wants to lend their voice to your movement, to your cause, to your campaign, it's a little too hard for them to show up. And it takes a while to onboard them and engage them. But what if there was a place where everyone who wanted to show up could? What if there was a way to recruit and onboard and engage every single volunteer in under a minute and a half. Under a minute and a half? Under a minute and a half. Okay, well, tell me about this. Tell oh, me about sorry. it. <laughs> sorry. Um, so at Shire, we believe that everyone should have a home in the movement. Right. Right. And what we saw during COVID was this move to, to online organizing. Right, a whole yeah. lot, yeah. And it was kind of messy. You know, yeah. we were figuring it out for the first time. So our co-founder, Samantha, was able to take these lessons learned when she was a campaign manager and use her tech background to create this platform. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you work for a campaign that uses Shire, mm -hmm. you're able to you know, go on there and say, hey, I want to volunteer. I want to show up. I want to be part of the work. And we say, great, come on in. 
And that's it. It's no, that easy. And when they come on in, what does that mean? Come on in, what do I get from you to make you, first of all, to make you a part of it and, and make it easy for you to be a, a part of Absolutely. it? Absolutely. The first thing that you'll generally see, depending on the campaign, uh -huh. is a message from, you know, the candidate. In what Let's form? say video. Oh, okay. A video message. You get a video message you, over your, your you phone. You get a video or... message. And then you get to talk to someone. You get to talk to someone right away. Someone welcomes you and someone says, thank you. A human being? A human being. Okay. A real human being, not a robot. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, you know, it it's so simple. Right. Right. We know as organizers right. that the best way to retain volunteers and engage volunteers right. and broaden the scope of that movement is to honor them, respect them, thank them, make them feel welcome and make them feel like it matters because it does. It matters. We need everyone. I tell you something that's interesting because a lot of times and I, uh, my daughter will go and say, Dad, you're always using that word antiseptic. But there are some times that you find that uh, with all these online tools, uh, they are really made in a form that's a bit antiseptic. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not, you don't feel that human touch in it. And so it, I don't know, unless you're a real, a, an activist that just is embedded into the system, you, you say you, you, you go in a bit and it, it turns out that you may not want to do it after all. If it's, if what you're saying, is, well, I shouldn't say what you're saying. <laughs> Given the way your product is designed, yeah. it seems like that is what you're attempting to mitigate. We are, you know, and I think sometimes when when people show up to volunteer, right. you know, they, they get thrown into like 17 different chat right. channels in a trench coat, right? right? And their phone just beeps forever right. and they go, I can't do this. Right. You know, I want to do one thing. And so at Shire, We've made that a little easier. You know, right. you tell us you want to, you know, do do remote texting. Right. Here's everything you need to do remote texting. You know, whatever service the campaign is using for mm -hmm. that and a chat that will get you involved with other volunteers and organizers to help you be successful in that work. And we've built accessibility right into the platform. Right. So that enables us to engage volunteers with disabilities right. in a way that I think really came to light during COVID, how many people we were leaving behind. Right. You know, our people are out there. Right. They're out there. Let's go invite them in. Let's make it easier for someone to volunteer. You know, even if you're like, like a rural voter, you know, <laughs> you live in a, a gerrymandered district, you're four and a half hours away from the closest campaign office. That doesn't mean your voice doesn't matter. Right. But you shouldn't have to drive four and a half hours to right. help out. What if you what if you work all day? What if you work at you're, you're a teacher. You get up early in the morning, you go to work, you spend all day, you gotta get home, take care of your own kids, right? right? You can't give eight hours at a time right. to go knock on doors, but maybe, just maybe, you have half an hour every day mm -hmm. that you can make sure that your voice counts. So the way you've designed this is you allow for uh, these metrics to be placed in your system and given these metrics in your system, you can know what to offer that person who wants to volunteer. Well, here's the cool thing about Shire. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. Right. We're able to tailor this for every single campaign, every single organizer. You tell us what you want. You tell us what you need for uh -huh. your volunteers to have and we'll help you get there. So you build this custom for each particular campaign. It's pretty cool. Okay, so in other words, you have you have a basic 
framework that you work yes. from. And after that framework, whenever that campaign needs, they, they come and they consult and they find out what you need and provide you with. Oh, that, Correct. When you're an organizer right. or a campaign manager right. and you sign up to use, you know, the Shire system, right. we are going to hold your hand. We are going to help you set this up. But here's the cool part. It's so easy. Right. Like if you can spare like one or two days to uh -huh. learn it, you are going to be well on it. your way and your volunteers maybe a couple minutes to figure it out now this is this cloud-based software or is this uh, uh how both it's okay both. okay yeah, <laughs> i'm not on the tech side oh, no no i, I know i know i know that's like that's that's fine because I, I i should be expected the person who is describing the outward functioning of the program what happened is i'm a software developer and i was intrigued oh, by what you're talking well about. then you tell me oh, no, 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 no. I, was, I was actually intrigued by the, the, it's pretty what you're cool. talking about yeah, yeah it's absolutely. pretty cool you know yeah. and it works on web it works on mobile it's like yeah it should be you agree it should be easier no, yeah no, and and that's why i said when i earlier spoke about it things being antiseptic that's what i meant right yeah. in other words if you can get a system that is bait that actually is and user-friendly is an overused word because user-friendly is. is not what we're talking about. We're talking about human, sort of hum, uh, human-friendly. In other words, something that people yeah. want to do. Yeah, you know? it's like everyone should have a home, right? right. Everyone there should feel at home. When they want to show up, exactly. they should feel at home. And we can help. Right, right. And, and there you go. You know, that, that's what's important. But anyway, so give, you know, I always end with one particular question. What would you have liked me to ask you about your tool or about what you guys are doing that I didn't? Well, that's such a good question. That's such a good journalist question. There you go. <laughs> it, it takes me out of trouble. I know. And I, I, I always, I should be expecting it. And yeah. I never am. Nobody, don't worry. Nobody does. Yeah. Nobody does. I think the most important thing to know about Shire is that, well, not the most important right. thing, One the, of the very important thing right. for organizers to know about Shire is that we're ready to go. If you want to go to our website mm -hmm. um, and sign up, and we're in beta right now, uh -huh. which means that we have some flexibility right. to work with campaigns and figure out who needs what. Right. And it's, it's really kind of an exciting time. You know, I think digital organizing, remote right. volunteering is going to be so so crucial in 2024 right. you know i don't want to i don't want to bum you out yeah. but like we have got to win <laughs> no doubt no doubt no doubt i tell you what how can folks who want to help their volunteers how can they get in touch with you well right now we're working with a wide variety of campaign organizers candidates uh, unions mm -hmm. um and it's it's really great so if you are running a campaign if you need help if you need volunteers if you want to really truly engage people wherever they're at just come on over to the website and check so us out so what's your website getshire.com getshire.com spell it out because uh sometimes you know how it goes uh g-e-t-s-h-i-r-e dot C-O-M. All right. You could have said dot com. Anyway, <laughs> it's it, more fun. <laughs> it is my pleasure, Erica. Thank you so kindly for having Thank been on Politics so and Right. And keep up. You guys keep doing that good work because we need all the help we can get in progressive uh, activism. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I think President Biden just put Republicans, specifically MAGA, on notice with regards to can we continue to expect funding for these hurricanes that are coming, these fires that are coming. You know, right now, it seems like the Republicans want to use it as some sort of a cudgel on the president's head. Don't think it's going to work. I want you to listen to what he has to say. Mr. President, can you assure Americans that the federal government is going to have the emergency funding that they need to get through this hurricane season? The answer is, if I can't do that, I'm going to point out why. How can we not respond? My God, how can we not respond to these needs? And so I'm confident, even though there's a lot of talk from some of our friends up in the Hill about the cost, we got to do it. This is the United States of America. Yes. And I think he has to do a lot more. He has to show that we are going to start calling people out now and making a stink about it. I don't think the president or Democrats, for that matter, have been sufficiently active in calling out consistently, continually what MAGA has been doing. Maybe they'll start, and this time maybe they won't start too late. Trump and and Republicans love to accuse Democrats of you're running deficits. And the truth of the matter, it is never true, right? Because Democrats have a tendency to tax for what they're going to spend. I mean, they, yeah, they, they have deficit spending too. But nowhere close that of Republicans. And, and I want to read this for you. Trump. Both presidents ran up record-setting budget deficits. Obama's stimulus plan added $253 billion to President W. Bush's last budget to create the largest deficit in U.S. history. The recession reduced revenue by almost $600 billion. As a result, the fiscal year 2009 budget deficit at that time was $1.4 trillion. In fiscal year 2010 and fiscal year 2011, the Obama tax cut extension sent the budget deficit to $1.3 trillion and the economy improved. Each year's deficit became smaller. By 2016, it was only $585 billion. But the deficit by the president increased under Trump's budget even before COVID-19. Let's repeat. The deficit even before COVID-19 had grown to what? Three. $1.1 trillion, not Obama's $1.3 trillion, but $3.1 trillion in 2020. That's a fact. That's something that you can research and find. Looking at debt by president provides a better gauge of government spending. Trump betrayed his campaign promise to eliminate the debt. Trump's plan to reduce the debt relied on increasing economic growth to 6%. Like most Republicans, he believed tax cuts could spur the level of growth. Still, the data shows that Trump's tax cuts did not reduce the debt or the deficit even before the pandemic hit. Trump promised to cut waste, but some of his strategies fall under the five myths on cutting government spending. 
These include cutting foreign aid, increasing defense spending to boost growth, and cutting entitlement programs. Research shows these aren't the most effective ways to cut spending or boost the economy. And in that light, we know now that Republicans are much more uh, debt-driven, inefficient, etc., All right, so that is the article, and I have that linked in here. It will be inside of the blog. The most important thing that I wanted to talk to you about today was the following. And it starts, Democrats or Republicans, which is better for the economy? Let's let's look at how the party's platforms are defined as far as what they believe economically. Which party is better for the economy? What do Democrats believe? Economic policies benefit low-income and middle-income families, argue that reducing income inequality spurs economic growth, people are more likely to spend than save and invest, support Keynesian economic theories that government should spend in a way out spend your way out of recession, and some research uh, shows that economic growth is better under Democrats. Some research, all research prove that the economy grows much better under Democrats. What does Republicans stand for? Advocates for supply-side economics that primarily benefits businesses and investors. Argue that tax cuts on business allows them to hire more workers, increasing demand on growth, which has turned out to be false, as we stated before. Support the pursuit of prosperity without government interference. Of course, they don't want the government because they don't want regulations to stop them from harming people. And business-friendly approach makes many believe the Republicans are better for economy. In other words... Because they support business, people have the illusion that they're better for the economy. But ultimately speaking, they're not. And what we have here are GDP uh, growth for each of the presidents, right? And when we take a look at the chart, and I have the chart, these are numbers that's all verifiable. Look at the presidents now. 184% increase under Roosevelt. LBJ, one term and a half, 29%. JFK, 14%. Clinton, 36%. Only Reagan, because Reagan lied to the people and gave them, he claimed he was a supply cider. He was a supply cider with a bias to Keynesian. How do I prove that? Increase the national budget, increase the uh, spending in defense by a bunch, give away a lot of stuff to people and cut taxes. So he got a 31% increase again. And also we were coming out of a deep recession from under Carter, right? Nixon, 19%, Carter, 14%, Eisenhower, 27%, Trump, 8%. In other words, Trump always claimed how great a president he was. But if we look at the worst presidents economically, it was Trump and the others. But anyway, it is important that we actually analyze this. Now, we have to remember that the crash came under Obama. So normalize Obama annual average of increase for the GDP was 1.7, which because Trump served one year on the Obama's economy, his was actually 2.6. But look at the look at the annualized one from all these presidents. The first one, Roosevelt. Second one, LBJ. Third one, JFK. Fourth one, Clinton. All Democrats. Not until Reagan did they do a little bit okay and Nixon a little bit okay, but even Carter beat Eisenhower, Trump, George Bush one, George Bush two, Obama, Ford, Truman, and Hoover. These are not theories. These are the numbers. So if we go further into the analyses, the lie that you're hearing on TV constantly, 
about how good the Republicans are for the economy or that the Republicans do better for the economy is nothing more than a lie. And the sad part about it is that the mainstream media, because they are corporate based, refuse to tell Americans the truth. Here is the analysis as far as who is best for the economy. The party that's actually best for the economy. Many analysts look at which party is best for the economy. A study for, from the National Bureau of Economic Research found that Democratic presidents since World War II have performed much better than Republicans. On average, Democratic presidents grew the economy by 4.4% each year versus 2.5% for Republicans. That's a huge amount, almost 100% better for Democrats. And just look at Biden's performance compared to Trump. Look at Obama's performance compared to Bush. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not even close. A study by Princeton University's economists Alan Binder and Mark Watson found that the economy performs better when the president is a Democrat. They report that by many measures, the performance gap is startlingly large. Between Truman and Obama, growth was 1.8% higher under Democrats than Republicans. Most of these evaluations measure growth during the president's term in office, but no president has control over the growth added during his first year. The budget for the fiscal year was always set by the previous president, so it's helpful to compare gross domestic product at the end of the president's last budget. For Obama, that would be fiscal year 2009 to September 2018. That fiscal year 2010 to 2017, during that time, annual GDP increased from $15.6 trillion to $17.7 trillion, or 14%. That's 1.7% per year. The chart ranks presidents since 1929. And the only reason Obama isn't on the, uh, near, near the middle top of that list is because he had to live with what George W. Bush did with the economy when they sold us out. The numbers don't lie. People lie. But if you want the numbers, look it up yourself. You don't have to listen to what I'm saying here. Look it up yourself. These are all numbers that are printed. Republicans are terrible with the economy. And it's proven in the numbers. So again, unfortunately, that's just how it is. And when you guys start voting your interests and not some ideology that stands for nothing, more than likely we can make progress as a society. While we have some here that will refuse to look at the facts at hand, my dear brothers and sisters, remember, if you want to have a good economy, if you want to maximize what's good for you, this is not something that just happened with one president. This is, this is a pattern that one can follow. You want a good economy? Elect the types of presidents that gives you good economies. <laughs> <laughs>